Chapter number fourteen of a little Queen of Hearts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elaine Conway, England. A little Queen of Hearts by Ruth Ogden. Chapter fourteen. Madame la Petite Reine oh the wonderful marie celeste of that tour through the private apartments as for albert it is to be doubted if he quite rose to the occasion nothing could be more awe-inspiring or majestic than the picture of the queen he had formed in his mind but as they were shown from room to room and failed to encounter her his interest began to flag a little there were apartments more grand than these with which he was already familiar in the other parts of the castle and when ainsley hurried them past two or three rooms with the explanation that some of the royal family were in them he felt some the very object of their of them and he thought ainsley might at least have told them which one even though they were not to be permitted to have a sight of her but with marie celeste it was very different she stood in worshipful admiration before all the royal belongings and when permitted to gaze into one or two of the bedrooms where royalty actually put itself to bed behind beautiful embroidered draperies her sense of the privilege accorded to her fairly made her hold her breath at last when ainsley announced that they had made the tour of all the private apartments they were ushered into a boudoir where a maid waited in readiness to assist them in making their toilettes for luncheon the maid however standing stiff and straight with a towel thrown over her arm and a whisk broom in hand ready to attack them looked so very formidable that marie celeste begged ainsley not to leave them and ainsley herself appreciating the overbearing self-importance of the maid babette was good enough to accede to her request and then followed such a freshening of toilette as was fairly humiliating in its thoroughness the trying feature of the proceeding lay in the fact that they were in no way taken into the confidence of the party officiating or told what move was impending side by side they were thrust on to a little low seat and their shoes and pumps being quickly removed were consigned to the keeping of a condescending boots who summoned by the touch of an electric bell carried them away at arm's length marie celeste was never more thankful in her life than that every button was on and that albert's little patent leathers were just as good as new in fact that nothing could be urged against those little articles of footwear save the grievous offence of a dust from the royal garden their faces and hands were scrubbed with wholly unnecessary vigour and in albert's case even ears and then both children were thrust on to the little low seat again and drawing a stool in front of them babette laid an elaborate manicure set open upon her lap and gave her whole mind to the shaping and polishing of their nails a process in which albert took great interest and which was accomplished it must be confessed most dexterously and with great expedition you have beautiful nails child said babette 
the instant she took marie celeste's extended hands in hers and this compliment from so high and experienced an authority made marie celeste at once feel repaid for all the dainty care her mother had always insisted upon at last the little toilettes were completed even to the reformation of albert's curls around an ivory curling-stick and with embroidered dress and well-starched kilt none the worse for the decorous experiences of the morning they emerged from the little boudoir as spick and span as from the depths of the traditional bandbox luncheon being served they found a most imposing butler awaiting them in the hallway and therefore were obliged but with evident reluctance to turn their backs on ainsley when they reached the dining-room miss balmore was already seated at the table ready to receive them but as places were set for only three two little hearts were again doomed to disappointment for two little minds without any sort of consultation had separately arrived at the conclusion that all that elaborate preparation could certainly mean nothing less than luncheon with her majesty in person otherwise it is to be doubted if they would have put up half so civilly for the uncompromising treatment they had received at babette's hands their disappointment however could not long hold out against the odds of their immediate surroundings the butlers for there were two of them could not have seemed more anxious to please and more obsequious to a veritable little prince and princess the luncheon was delicious and no one could possibly have been more kind and friendly than miss balmore therefore it happened that to their own surprise they became almost at once at their ease and albert chattered away in such a cunning irresistible fashion that the royal dining-room rang with the merriest peals of laughter and and now said albert when the luncheon at last was concluded and having clearly in mind the talk about the little queen that was to follow where shall we find the old lady we shall find her in the sitting-room albert said miss balmore her kind grey eyes dancing with the amusement which she was making such an effort to conceal so it was quite plain that these little uninvited visitors to windsor castle were mistaking her majesty for her majesty's mother she wondered for the moment if she ought not to tell them of their absurd mistake and yet no she hardly had the right to do that either for had not a little conference with her majesty resulted in the conclusion that they would not disillusionise their little guests if they could help it if possible they should leave the castle as they entered it the queen of england still dream queen of their imagination regal and stately always and perennially arrayed in crown ermine and jewels and all the royal insignia of her office they at any rate would not be the ones to acquaint them with the fact that even queens sometimes grow to be grandmothers taking more comfort in rocking-chairs than thrones vastly preferring lace caps to crowns and behaving in general like other dear grandmothers the world over and in the meantime what a pleasure to talk familiarly with these same bright little visitors who more likely than not would have retired into speechless embarrassment had any one ventured the announcement that the great queen of england was none other than the friendly old lady with whom they were taking all the liberties of commonplace everyday acquaintance and so happily no doubt for their ease of mind no one felt called upon to make the announcement have you been here ever since 
asked albert the moment they reached the sitting-room and described the queen in the same chair in which they had left her ever since answered her majesty and haven't you had any luncheon in a tone of real concern and going close to her side so that he leaned against her knee oh yes i have had my luncheon served right here to save me the trouble of moving and now i'm ready and waiting to have our talk about that little isabel de valois did these belong to her asked marie celeste standing in open-eyed wonder before a mosaic table which had been cleared to make room for a quaint collection of foreign-looking childish possessions a mandolin a well-worn little missile a remarkable doll a necklace or two numerous little childish trinkets and thrown over a chair standing close to the table a little gown of white silk and its exquisite embroidery yellow and limp with age but none the less dainty and lovely yes all of them answered the queen keenly enjoying the child's undisguised pleasure albert who preferred that everything should be done decently and in order placed a chair for marie celeste on the other side of the queen's little table and then seating himself on the gilded sofa beside miss balmore in such a comfortable snuggling-up way that miss balmore had to put one arm right round him and give him a sound little kiss by the way of punishment which albert was courteous enough not to resent notwithstanding he considered that sort of treatment somewhat humiliating for a boy of four now tom please marie celeste he pleaded let's hear about de tings before we look at dem and marie celeste feeling that we're all waiting for her reluctantly did as she was bid and dropped into the chair albert had placed for her and now said albert modestly considering himself master of ceremonies please have marie celeste tell what she knows first for the suspicious little reprobate was keenly anxious to put her boasted knowledge to the test yes i should love to hear the story as she has heard it answered the queen will you tell it to us marie celeste and marie celeste nothing loath and willing at last to substantiate her claims in the ears of doubting albert rested her hand comfortably on either arm of her chair and commenced preceding her narration with a request you will correct me won't you if you find i do not tell it right to which her majesty smilingly acceded first asking miss balmore to hand her a little jewelled miniature case from among the other treasures on the table well this little queen began marie celeste was the child of a french king and she was born in the loire the king's palace in paris and she was born in a very troubled time such a troubled time that her father the king went crazy and then the little isabel spent most of her time in the hotel de st paul on the seine that belonged to one of her father's ambassadors i wonder that you remember such a queer name as st paul and such a long word as ambassadors said miss belmore incredulously oh i have tried very hard to remember all the names because you can't tell the story very clearly without them besides i wrote them all down in my journal one day on the steamer and because i was coming here to windsor to-day i read them over only last night you haven't told us de name of de king den said albert the king was charles the sixth of france explained the queen who was not going to have her little story-teller disconcerted if she could help it but marie celeste confessed with perfect honesty i am afraid i had forgotten that name 
and albert felt ashamed of himself and confided in a whisper to miss belmore dat he dest he wouldn't be so mean aden well continued marie celeste pausing thoughtfully a moment to think out the order of the story at that time and all the time in those days there was war between france and england and the french wanted to have peace and so the ambassador st paul who had married the sister of king richard in england went to richard and told him if he would sign a truce with france charles would give him his daughter isabel for his queen and with a larger dowry than was ever given to a royal bride albert was becoming too deeply impressed with the extent of marie celeste's knowledge to venture the question as to what a dowry might be and king richard agreed to that but it must just have been because he thought it would be a wise thing to do for isabel was only eight years old and it would be so many years before she could really reign as a queen at all but that's the way with kings and queens they always have to do the things that's wise no matter how they may feel about it don't they for marie celeste to whom even the motives of royal conduct were of deepest interest but one could hardly ask for a more reliable source of information than the queen's own mother it is certainly true said her majesty a little gravely that the rulers of a great country like england have often to set aside their own preferences but these are better times than those in which the little isabel lived and the idea of a king marrying a little girl of eight no matter for what reason could hardly be tolerated now you know oh is that so with a look of real surprise for marie celeste's idea of royalty had come to her largely through her knowledge of the little isabel and her childish mind did not readily lend itself to the thought that royalty as well as everything else in the world was subject to change and possible improvement indeed she did not care to realise anything of the sort choosing rather to think of the windsor of isabel's time as much the same as the windsor of victoria's and she would have been not a little grieved and surprised had any one insisted on pointing out to her in how many many ways the old differed from the new but the beauty of it is she continued after meditating a moment over the queen's answer that little isabel was really a darling and that the king called her his dear little sister and really loved her because sometimes kings and queens do not love each other at all and sometimes they do and her majesty spoke so seriously and with such a depth of earnestness that marie celeste and albert too for that matter looked up at her in wondering silence but do go on with the story dear the queen added we shall make but slow progress if we allow too many interruptions well it wasn't a bit strange that the king loved her for even the king's men who were sent to bring her to england thought she was perfectly lovely and indeed she was a most unusual little girl they say that her father was very foolish but good and that her mother was wicked but clever and that the little isabel was like her father for goodness and her mother for cleverness and they say too that she was never twice alike that sometimes she was grave and sedate as could be and sometimes she was full of fun and frolic but always so sweet and good and innocent and that innocent that she was like a bright little star in those dark times for there was war between england and france and they say only the children can be light-hearted in war-time have you any idea marie celeste how this little isabel looked asked the queen keeping the little jewelled case close covered in her hand oh yes i think i know exactly 
she was fair but her eyes were black with dark lashes curling over them for her grandmother was an italian you know and her head was put on her shoulders in a pretty sort of way and she had a cunning sweet look on her face that just made people love her would you like to see her picture and the queen attempted to open the case she held in her hand both the children were instantly bending over it see looks just as marie celeste said remarked albert proudly his sceptical spirit of the morning wholly transformed into one of profound admiration and marie celeste asking that she might hold the case in her own hand and gazing entranced upon the dear little face looking out at her said joyfully yes she does look as i said doesn't she then she reverently laid the miniature back upon the queen's lap as though counting it quite too precious to be long out of royal keeping it seems to me now i can just see she said gazing fondly down at the picture where it lay the way she looked that day when the king's men went to bring her to england one of them dropped on one knee and said madame if god pleases you shall be our queen and lady and then she made a little curtsy like this and answered without a word from anybody sir if it please god and my lord and father i shall be most happy for i am told the queen of england is a very great lady nothing could have been prettier than the wholly unconscious way in which marie celeste impersonated the grandeur and dignity of the little isabel courtesy and all so that the queen said admiringly my dear you are a real little queen yourself and your kingdom must lie in the hearts of all who know you and albert anxious at once to acquit himself as most loyal of her subjects shook his head emphatically and remarked marie celeste is a daisy and she ought to live in a castle just as fine as anybody and then to prove the wealth of his devotion he threw his two arms around her waist which was as high as he could reach in most uncourtly fashion hush albert said marie celeste blushingly pushing him from her for this demonstration was as embarrassing as unexpected please go and sit down by miss belmore we are not half through are we looking toward the queen for confirmation of the fact why no indeed little isabel isn't even married yet albert and albert climbed back just as he had intended to to his seat beside miss belmore but with the most supercilious smile on his little face as though he to whom story-telling was the most delightful thing in the world did not know whether a story was finished or not but no matter he did not mind being misunderstood even by the queen's mother if marie celeste would only go on and marie celeste as eager to talk as her listeners to hear went on and so it came about that they took the little isabel to england and madame de coucy a lady whom isabel dearly loved came with her to be her governess and next to madame de coucy isabel loved simonette simonette was a poor little slave brought to france from one of the crusades and i suppose they grew more fond of each other every day because when they came to england both were so far away from their old home on the way to england richard came to meet the little isabel at calais in france 
and then she was escorted to london in fine style and after that all her queen's fixings were taken off and she was brought here to this very castle that was to be her home and everybody called her madame la petite reine albert would have given a good deal to know what those french words mean and wished he had not made such a row when his mother had once suggested a french bonne but he would not betray his ignorance for anything and marie celeste was allowed to proceed uninterrupted and here in this dear old castle la petite reine had a beautiful time she used to study with madame de Cousy in the mornings and go for walks among the flowers out in the garden there in the afternoon and away beyond it too sometimes and richard would often come down from london for a visit and he taught her english courtly ways and to play the mandolin albert looked significantly towards the quaint mandolin with a faded blue ribbon attached to it that was lying among the other treasures on the table and when the king could not come for a regular visit he would just ride down for a word and kiss and so the time went by and sometimes isabel would go to hear the canons preach in st george's and sometimes she would watch the knights riding in the tilt-yard from one of the castle windows only sometimes when one knight hurt another with his spear or tumbled him from his horse so that he was carried away stunned and bleeding she saw more than she wanted to see and would not go near those windows again for days and then at last there came a sad time for isabel for the king had decided he must go himself and take charge of his army which was trying to put down an insurrection in ireland but before he rode away from windsor castle he said he would have a great tournament in the tilt-yard in honour of st george and he had a beautiful green uniform made and he was to carry the queen's device of a little white falcon and isabel and her maids were to be present and give the crown to whichever knight should be victorious but very few came to the tournament for there were very few who really cared for the king and it was all a failure and the castle seemed a very sad place for la petite reine because the king was going away and now said albert appealing to the queen for he felt that quite too much was being taken for granted will you please tell me what is a tilt-yard and what it was dat de knights would not tom to and what was dat little white ting of the queen's dat de king carried and impatiently as marie celeste brooked the interruption there was nothing for it but to wait while her majesty explained that the tilt-yard was a sort of riding-school for the knights where they practised for the tournaments and that the tournaments were occasions when the knights spear in hand came together to ride against each other with a great many people looking on and when the one who unseated all those who rode against him won the prize as for the little white thing of isabel's that was a falcon that is a pretty live white bird which was isabel's device or emblem and when the king carried that he showed how he delighted to honour his own little child queen i would be glad if you would go on and tell the rest said marie celeste all that happened afterward was so doleful i do not like to tell it well let me think said her majesty doubt if i can get all that followed quite straight and then there was silence for a few moments well will somebody please go on remarked albert when he thought there had been quite enough time for thinking 
the shadows were lengthening out there in the garden and oh if they should have to go home before the story was done and then somebody that is the queen who as you know was a good deal more of a somebody than albert gave her credit for endeavoured at once to allay the little fellow's impatience i remember she said how sad was the parting between the king and the little queen how he walked with her hand in hand from the castle into the lower ward at the head of a long procession of loyal servants and then into st george's chapel for a farewell service and how they kneeled down before the altar side by side while the choir sang very sweetly and then how he lifted the little queen in his arms for to him she was just a darling little sister and kissed her over and over again while she sobbed and sobbed and begged him not to leave her all alone after that he led her into the deanery those are rooms set aside for different uses in connection with the chapel and there he gave her a royal box of candies and sat down and ate some with her and tried to joke with her and sipped her little wine and then another long farewell and he was gone never to see the little queen again which died asked albert in a hoarse whisper oh neither of them died dear only as soon as richard returned from ireland he was taken prisoner by the english nobles and compelled to resign his crown and so was never able to come back to claim his castle or his little bride but for all that richard fared no worse than he deserved for though he was kind and good to little isabel he was false and cruel to almost every one beside indeed he was false to little isabel too for while he was still at windsor he gave orders to have madame de coucy whom isabel loved as her own mother dismissed and sent back to france soon after he should have gone and he was not honest enough to tell little isabel of the plan but as the old chronicles say madame de coucy was a woman of spirit and when the time came refused to go holding her office from the king of france she owned no master but the king of france and although driven from the castle she remained at windsor and succeeded in keeping up some connection with the little queen and now the misfortunes of the poor little isabel followed thick and fast the partings from richard and our governess madame de coucy had thrown the child into a fever and richard's uncle the duke of york in whose care she had been left was at his wit's end to know what to do meantime henry bolingbroke a nephew of richard's and a brave prince had landed in england and the people who loved him were ready to receive him and make him king in richard's place and now the duke of york fearing that windsor was no longer a safe place for the little queen moved her to a castle called wallingford which has been built only for defence it was stronger than windsor but it was all to no purpose everything gave way before the march of henry bolingbroke and his army windsor surrendered to a blast of trumpets and a few days later the little queen was yielded up a captive into henry's hands and was carried with faithful simonette a saracen maid to the castle of leeds but leeds fortunately proved to be a beautiful castle with a large garden and she was not treated harshly or unkindly madame de coucy meanwhile started for france post haste and was the first to carry the news to the court of charles that madame isabel had been captured and dethroned and then you may be sure all france was up in arms as they say in a moment threatening to avenge la petite reine but notwithstanding the threats of the french nothing could be done at once to release the little queen 
and so it was a comfort to know that all this while henry was caring for her welfare most kindly at this point in the story the queen fearing that the long page from history might prove wearying to even so eager a little listener as albert suggested to miss belmore to bring some of the treasures from the table that they might have a closer look at them and this was her very own asked marie celeste handling the mandolin with reverent touch the very one in which richard taught her to play yes said miss belmore and this pretty dress holding up the little short-waisted gown of lace and satin was the one she wore that day richard took his last leave of her in the deanery of st george's chapel only to think marie celeste said solemnly that i should hold in my own hands things that belong to the little isabel mr Baldham never guessed when he told me all about her on the steamer such a wonder would come to pass i wish he could know about it some day but who has kept all these old things so long and how old are they anyway asked more practical albert inspecting with curious critical gaze a little necklace of hammered gold and silver which miss balmore had dropped into his lap as one of the few treasures his rather inquisitive touch would not damage the keepers of the wardrobe one after another have cared for them carefully albert for nearly five hundred years miss balmore explained and it is only by a special order from the queen that they can ever be taken out of the precious chest where they are stored for a single moment except twice a year or so to be cleaned and brushed and did the queen give a special order for us to-day asked marie celeste more impressed than ever with the greatness of their privileges certainly my dear well de queen's a daisy too den ventured albert who alas was no respecter of persons hush albert said marie celeste blushing but very thankful that miss balmore and the queen's mother seemed more amused than shocked and then she added amid deeper blushes oh will you please tell her majesty for me that i never could thank her enough never well what happened to her next asked albert there was no telling when this story would ever go on again if marie celeste was allowed to indulge too freely in these sentimental flights of hers her majesty waited a moment hoping marie celeste would take up the thread of the story which she did almost unconsciously oh she had a dreadful time albert richard left her in the care of a man named huntington and i don't believe there was ever a man so bad as he why when henry bolingbroke was made king he had pardoned this huntington though he had been as untrue to henry as he could be because he was his sister's husband but no sooner was he pardoned that he laid a deep plot with some other men as wicked as himself to overpower the king as part of the plan they were going to surprise windsor castle and huntington if you will believe it hoped to murder the four sons of henry with his own hand and they did march on windsor castle but not before henry and his sons had heard of the dreadful plan and ridden safely away but huntington could not believe that they had gone they search everywhere in this castle here for them and he was so angry at not finding them that he let his soldiers in and they stove indoors and tore down curtains and cut up furniture and carried off silver so that in five hours the castle was ruined is that true whispered albert to miss balmore it seemed so incredible that windsor castle with its present state and grandeur could ever have been in such a sorry plight only too true dear there would be many more priceless treasures in the castle to-day for the untold mischief of that terrible morning 
marie celeste waited with a decidedly martyr-like air till this inexcusable whispering was through with chiming in again at the first opportunity and then what did the wretch do but hurry to little isabel and tell her that he had freed richard from the tower and that he would soon be kins again so that isabel was glad to go with huntington but it was all a lie for huntington simply wanted to have isabel for his own prisoner instead of henry bolingbroke's and so the poor little thing was right in huntington's camp among his rough soldiers and what was worse as soon as huntington found himself in a tight place had to fly for his life he deserted her and henry bolingbroke's men came and carried her up to london and then she was henry's prisoner once more but huntington got what he deserved at last with the smile of grim satisfaction with which marie celeste adorned the statement showed how simply enormous to even her childish mind seemed the crimes of the fiendish huntington for after he deserted isabel he fell into the hands of some peasants who knew what a wretch he was and who took him and drove a chopper through his neck and so made an end of him and then what did king henry do but decide that it would be a good thing for england to keep friends with france if that were possible and so he said the pope shall say isabel is no longer the wife of richard and i will marry her to my son harry of course everybody thought that would suit little isabel well enough for harry was tall and handsome just isabel's age and would make a line man some day but isabel would not hear of such a thing she still loved the weak bad man older than her own father who had fed her on sugar-plums called her his little sister fingered her mandolin and sung with her at morning mass then besides her own feeling the french themselves did not seem to want to be friendly with england or to have isabel stay here and so at last she was sent back to her own people and she died at blois in france when she was only twenty years old and and now i think that's a very sad and interesting story and albert pondering over the remarkable tale shook his head gravely from side to side and the saddest part said her majesty is that there would probably have been no joan of arc nor agincourt nor siege of rouen if only the little isabel had chanced to fancy the little prince hal agincourt and the siege of rouen were only names to the children's ears but there was time for no more questions the flower garden was almost in shadow now and besides it had occurred even to albert that the old lady might be growing a little tired we have had a beautiful time said marie celeste with a sigh as though unable to give full expression to her appreciation but i hope we haven't stayed too long and then as though reluctant to take final leave of the little isabel she added don't you think it is more comfortable just to be one of the people and be a regular little girl and grow up always near your mother like other children yes there must be some nice things about belonging to the people her majesty replied smiling but then you know that poor little isabel's history was very unusual and that many little princes and princesses have grown up near their mothers as you and albert have and have been just regular little children for ever so many years that's good said albert apparently immensely relieved to have his fears as to the general fate of princes and princesses removed meantime miss balmore had brought their hats and after a most friendly parting with her tiny hostess and her lady-in-waiting the children were conducted to another doorway from the one by which they had entered 
there one of the court carriages with a gallant outrider stood in waiting and the footman after receiving directions as to the whereabouts of the little castle sprang to his place and they were off to think albert said marie celeste turning on albert the moment the door was closed and seizing his little wrist by way of emphasis we are in one of the queen's own carriages and we've been spending the day spending the day albert in windsor castle nest said albert complacently we must do our den there was time for scarcely more than this before the carriage wheeled up at cannon allen's and albert was safely landed at his own door and another three minutes brought it to the little castle harold conjecturing that the children might be sent home in this courtly fashion was on hand on the steps to receive the favoured recipients of royal hospitality i suppose you feel too high and mighty to speak to a fellow he said i don't believe you'll ever get over it marie celeste well we have had a magnificent day allowing herself to be detained for a moment notwithstanding her eagerness to rush straight to the bosom of her family we spent the whole afternoon with the queen's mother the queen's mother marie celeste she's been dead ever so many years who was she then almost angrily she was an old lady the queen herself of course the queen an old lady why not she has a host of grandchildren but she wore no crown howled oh you goosey of course not she does not put her crown on once in an age who told you she was the queen's mother only albert harold and then realising at a bound albert's positive genius for jumping to wrong conclusions marie celeste leaned against the door from very weakness marie celeste said harold who like other boys was rather inclined to rub a thing in it's the very best joke i have heard in all my life you are very unkind harold answered marie celeste accusingly it is the most mortifying thing that ever happened if she really was the queen and then trying to gather a little new courage she added but i'm not going to believe it till i have to there must be a mistake somewhere the lady we saw is not one bit like the pictures or the statues and yet all the time marie celeste felt that she was clinging to a forlorn hope during their stay at the castle there had been an occasional exchange of glances between the royal hostess and miss belmore and a frequent amused look in their eyes which he had been at a loss to account for this would explain it all ah yes she knew almost to a certainty that their long talk about petite reine of other days had been with none other than la grande reine of to-day and the crimes of the dreadful huntington seemed hardly worse for the moment than that of that most audacious albert End of chapter fourteen